There is some complicated things in here, though. So let's, let's read here the entire chapter uh, there in Romans 9. Starting there, verse 1, Paul, Paul writes, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by her father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose an election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you? a human being, to talk back to God. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, Unless the Lord had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it? a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? 
because they pursued it, not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Amen. Everyone understand? Awesome. Let's pray and call it a day. <laughs> Let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what we get through here in, in our time. Uh, Father, we, uh, we do pray you help us, God. Uh, we are obviously not you. We, we see things from, from such a temporary standpoint. We can't look out over the, 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 the centuries and see your, your, your great plan with the clarity that you do, Father. We pray you help us, God. Help us to leave here today, God, just reminded uh, that you are a, a good and a just God. And Father, we pray you, you do peel away you know, misconceptions that we may have and, and just help us to see the, the truth of your word uh, with clarity as it was written for us, God. Again, we pray you be with us in this time. We ask Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. It is a challenging passage, and you probably picked up some of that. And, and one of the challenges of this passage is this, this word determinism that's on here. And, and there's a lot of things in this text. There's a lot of things in this text that have been historically understood to uh, be kind of uh, foundational concepts within uh, Calvinism or Presbyterian. All right. Uh, some of those things, right? You know, Jacob, I, I loved. Uh, Esau, I hated, right? Before the children were even born, uh, you know, God had already made this decision, had already made this choice. Uh, even in our text, we get the, 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 the bit there about, you know, the, this imagery of God uh, dealing with people as a potter deals with a lump of clay, uh, and he can do and make whatever he wants to make, right? And if we as the clay talk back, we need to think about who we are, that we're clay and he's the potter, Right? And there's, there's things in this text that definitely, uh, you know, pu- push us, you know, out of our comfort zone. Uh, you know, what he has to say about Pharaoh in that text, uh, you know, be, be, being hardened, you know. And uh, again, there's, there's some scary things in there, but, but we'll unpack them. Amen. Uh, but, but to understand the background, right? So determinism or, you know, is basically number, number two here, unconditional election. Same, same idea, right? And you can see where that comes out of our, our, our text. Here's the, the, the full tulip, I think we've talked about this once before, uh, of, uh, of Calvinistic teachings or Presbyterian teachings, uh, you know, and it's kind of nice how it spells out tulip, easy to remember, right? Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. This section of Romans is the chief section by which you get the idea of unconditional election, okay? which again is a Calvinistic teaching. Uh, I think we'll see that, you know, hopefully we'll see as we go through this text that, that I think this text actually says the complete opposite. That God is not uh, blindly and arbitrarily determined, determining some to be saved and some to go to hell, uh, that he's actually, you know, teaching us something else here in, in regards to this text. And so that, that'll be our aim uh, to, to unpack that. Amen? So some things that, to help us, though, okay? Second Peter, okay? So if the Apostle Peter says this, Okay, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Okay, if if the Apostle Peter felt that about Romans, perhaps, right? 
uh, or Paul's letters in general, or you know maybe this section in in, in particular, uh, you know it's okay, right? There are things that are hard to understand. We're, we don't have to always uh, have everything perfectly aligned in our minds. And in fact, I think a lot of the things uh, that that are, are beyond us are beyond us because we're not God, all right? And, and, and Peter says this, but but what? You know, interesting enough here, even in this passage by, by Peter, he says, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. Peter wants us to, to never lose sight of that. That God's chief aim, his chief purpose, is always salvation of people. All right? A couple verses before this one in 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 9 there of 2 Peter, Peter writes, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, Instead, he is patient patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Right? And this is one of the problems of determinism. Is it, is it uh, unconditional election uh, forces the next part of tulip, which is limited atonement, which means that Christ died only for the elect. And it begins to paint this picture that, that, that God in, in, in uh, his plan only ever wanted to save a few, and the rest are just kind of like collateral damage. Okay? There, there are so many passages that, that scream out against that concept. Okay? When, when we find difficult passages, uh, interpreting difficult passages with more clear passages is always the safe bet. Okay? If God's the author of them both, they're not going to contradict. If our understanding of a scripture contradicts with clear other scriptures, then our understanding probably is incorrect. Right? And, and I think it's important for us to understand. Even Romans 2 verse 4, Paul, Paul himself writes, uh, and warns against showing contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead to repentance. Uh, God's goal is repentance for anyone and everyone. That's his goal. That's his purpose, right? Uh, and so we've got to be careful that we don't interpret Romans 9, 10, and 11 in a way that limits that purpose that, that God has, right? And even at the end of our text that we read, uh, you know, or we didn't read all of it, but even at the end there in Romans 11, uh, of this entire section, here's what Paul writes. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So in a very difficult section of Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul concludes it with a prayer. And what's the prayer? Man, this stuff is unsearchable. This stuff is, is you know, who, who, who did God consult? The answer, of course, being no one. <laughs> right? And so there are things in, 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 in these sections that are going to be difficult to understand. And I think Paul himself is even acknowledging that. Amen? Awesome. So let's look at some things here. Right, I, th- I think you know to to frame it is probably helpful. Paul is writing with a specific aim. Okay, he's trying to explain to to a first century people why, by and large, the Jewish people have rejected the Messiah. Okay, and and you think about all that we looked at in eight, and you know, phenomenal lessons in eight, and what what Ed unpacked last week was so so good, and it's all so incredibly positive and so optimistic and you know you leave just feeling like man life is good right god is with me nothing can separate me from god uh but but for them they think that for the jewish people or you know in the gentile people in that church in rome 
they hear that in Romans 8, but then they're also faced with this reality of, well, the Jewish people had a lot of promises and, and they don't actually seem to be with God. Right? And that's why Paul's even central question that he asked there in, in the beginning of 9, uh, after he shares a little bit about you know, his feelings towards the Jewish people there, verse 6, he says it's not as though God's word had failed. Because they're looking at this scenario and, okay, here's the Jewish king, here's the Jewish Messiah, but here's the Jewish people. And, and then they're not on the same page. And in fact, the Jewish people were becoming uh, some of the chief persecutors of the church in the first century. Right? And Paul will talk about that later in chapter 11. Like, look, in regards to the gospel, yes, they are your enemies. But in regards to the promises, the patriarchs, well, they're, they're partners with you, which is kind of an interesting pairing. Right? Because first century, church would have been actively persecuted by Jewish people. I mean, Paul many times is, is literally almost killed by the Jewish people. Right? He's going to get a, a ticket to Rome paid for by the Roman Empire because the Jewish people basically hand him over to the Romans as a troublemaker. Right? And, and he's acknowledging that. Like, yes, okay, they, they uh, are your enemies in regards to the gospel, but look, there's a grander plan at work here. And that you need, you know, he's trying to get the, Jew, the, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians of his time to understand that not everything is as it seems to be. Right? Not everything that's happening at that moment is as clear as they think it is in that moment. That God has a plan, that he's going to accomplish it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a full rejection of the Jewish people. He's going to stay faithful to the patriarchs while at the same time being just. Okay, something that's beyond us, right? But Paul is trying to, to answer that burning question. And, and we can tell it's a question because, like I said, even verses 1 to 5 of chapter 9, he begins with a pretty heartfelt uh, and uh, moving glimpse into how he feels about his Jewish, Jewish relatives. I mean, how many of us would really pray that level of a prayer? And you guys know, I've been, been in Australia 10 years. I'm not like a pro-America person. But I pray to be cut off as a Christian for the sake of America? No, I wouldn't. But man, that's the depth of Paul's love for his people. And in, in even chapter 10, it's the same thing again, right? His heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And, and Paul's trying to help the Roman Christians understand, right, that, 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 that Israel, yes, uh, they've turned from God. And yes, in, in, in many ways, God has hardened them. But, but that doesn't necessarily mean then that God has failed all the promises he's made. Because if they arrive at that conclusion, that God has failed all those promises, all those promises that they've just received in chapter 8 are on shaky ground. And so at the deeper thing that, that I hope uh, we all get today is this idea that, you know what, God is faithful. He has said he will save, and he will save. He has said that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, and he means that, that nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Right? Uh, and, and to understand that God's character is one that is worthy of our faith. Amen? And the local context is showing us that that is the chief problem that Paul is trying to address. Uh, and even the wider context of Romans, uh, we, 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 we talk, touched on this before, the first chapter and the last chapter of the book of Romans both say the exact same phrase, that, that Paul is writing to help people understand 
the, the gospel message in a way that leads for, to an obedience that stems from faith. A faithfulness to God's word, but not by works, but rather by faith. Jew and Gentile. That's Paul's, that's Paul's goal, right? Uh, he, he's detailed out in, over many, many chapters that all are lost. The pagan that is partying uh, and the religious rule keeper, all are lost because they're not trusting in Christ, right? But all can be saved if they put their faith in Christ, right? Uh, and, and, and once we're saved, man, we need to obey. Once we're saved, once we've passed from death to life, once you've been born again in the waters of baptism, connected to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you now have to offer your life as a slave to Jesus. And, and, and I think one of the, the solemn warnings that we'll get over chapters 9, 10, and 11 is the reality that the Jewish people and all their privilege, that did not secure their salvation. That they started off much the same way we all start off, but, but they drifted. And they ended up in unbelief. And that was a scary place to end up uh, because of the consequences that followed, right? But the wider context is in, in this entire letter is that that Paul is driving towards the salvation that produces obedience stemming from faith. Amen? All right, you guys with me? All right, let, let's start at the, at the end of the chapter and work our way backwards, right? And the reason for that is Paul actually summarizes uh, a difficult section of Scripture in those last verses, right? Which is helpful, all right? So, so, so look at them again there, starting in verse 30, right? His question that he's used actually a few times in Romans, right? Well, what should we say then? Okay, all that I've just said, well, okay, what, is that, what, what does that actually mean? Okay, and so he summarizes it for us, uh, and his summary is pretty important. So let's read it again, right? Verse 30, chapter 9. What should we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue a righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Okay, now this is important, because again, you think if, if, if Paul is teaching determinism, if he is teaching unconditional election, if he's, if he's telling you that you're going to end up a Christian uh, because God decided that before he even spoke the world into existence, uh, and it has nothing to do with your, your ability to do anything, right, uh, th then his answer to this question would be something like this. The sovereign God has determined who will be elect and who will be not, and no one has the right to question it. And Paul is asking that question at the end. Okay, we'll sum it all up. Why, okay, why haven't the Israelites been saved? If, if in Paul's mind, in clarity of summary, it was determinism that he was teaching, individual, person-by-person uh, -person election before the creation of time, then that would have probably been his answer. But his answer is actually what? He says, look, look, they pursued it not by faith, as if it were by works. And even chapter 10, verse 3, he continues on talking about the Jews, that they, even though they had great zeal, the way they were going about it, they sought to establish their, their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. All right? And, and so that's important to see, because Paul's summary, what's he telling us, is that uh, God, in some sense, he responds to how you respond. You end up part of, part of his family. You end up part of his son, Jesus, baptized into Christ if you respond with faith. If you humbly admit, you know what, I'm not righteous. 
can't be, can't earn it. I, I, I'm actually a sinner in need of mercy and grace. But at that point, yes, you become part of Israel, part of the promised people, right? Uh, and that's what Paul's talking about. Of not all those who are Israel are Israel. Because he's saying this actually isn't about your genetics. isn't about your heritage. It's not your DNA. That's not what's going to determine whether you're right or wrong with God. Uh, it's gonna, it really is, the, the crux of the matter is belief or unbelief. And, and, and Jews, Gentiles, they both have to make a choice. Are we going to approach God in that way? And that theme goes throughout the, the, this section, even chapter 11, uh, verses 20 to 23 there, in, in a section all about grafting. Paul uses grafting as an illustration. You guys graft? Anyone graft on the weekend? Right? Alfred and Shweeley, they like grafting. Uh, Marcotting actually lychee trees, which is kind of a cool thing. Uh, um, maybe you guys don't get that right, but but grafting is the you know the idea of of cutting in uh, a variety of a plant uh, into into another tree, uh, and that branch then is going to grow fruit using the sap from the original tree. Right? Paul's using that as an illustration for the spiritual life, and he's saying, look, some of the Gentiles they've been cut off the vine because of unbelief. They didn't believe in the Messiah. They rejected him, and so God cut them out. And he's telling the Gentiles, well, that's good news for you because now there's room for you on the vine. So you've been grafted in. But then he turns around and tells the Gentiles, but you better be careful because if God was willing to cut the original out, you better believe he's willing to cut the, the next. right? And so you see the entire chapter is not hinging on this determinism. It's hinging on are you going to have faith or are you not? Are you going to persevere in having belief in Jesus or are you going to drift and are you going to allow unbelief to, to creep in? Because my goodness, the Old Testament is full of that. It is full of stories like that. I mean, I think this chapter, chapters 9 to 11, I think is almost very similar in flavor as 1 Corinthians 10. And 1 Corinthians 10 is a little bit shorter and easier to read, so have a read of that over the week. Uh, and you'll see it makes a lot more sense. But there in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells the church in Corinth, look, you think about the Israelites and you better think about them in depth. Because they were baptized into Moses. And they, and they drank from that spiritual rock, which was Christ. Baptism, communion. And what does he say next? Nevertheless, most of them died. Nevertheless, God wasn't pleased with them. And so you think, man, you, you've got spiritual privilege. That does not guarantee your salvation. And you may have a period in your life where you're being faithful. That's awesome. But you better hold firm to the end if you want to be saved. Right? And again, it's a solemn warning when we begin to think about it, right? The Jews were that privileged people chosen by God, but they turned away. Does that mean God's plan failed? Well, no. This is where Paul begins to do kind of mental gymnastics as he's talking about this, because the reality is it was the hardness and stubbornness of the Jews that actually produced salvation, right? I mean, if they hadn't rejected the Messiah, Jesus would have been crucified and we wouldn't be saved. And that's why he's telling the Gentiles, hey, be careful that you don't get so much, you know, don't, don't get judgmental towards the Jews because in some sense, if they weren't the way they were, then Jesus would have been crucified. And elsewhere, Paul even says, look, that he became an apostle to the Gentiles. Why? Because he got tired of arguing with the Jewish people. And so their salvation, right? Jesus' work on the cross and Paul's uh, mission to come to them and teach the gospel was actually both driven and inspired by the Jewish people's rejection of the Messiah. Right? Does that make sense? You guys follow that? Right? And so that's Paul's summary, helping him to see, look, 
uh, you know, God's plan has not failed. All right. So very quickly, because we're running out of time already. Right. Let's look at some of these difficult passages in it. Right. But as we look at the difficult passages, don't lose sight of this bigger reality. All right. We have a choice. Be people of faith and be saved or allow unbelief to creep in. And you better believe that God is going to deal with us just as he did his own people, right? Which is that of being cut off. Amen? All right, so let's look here, right? Even even here as he talks about, uh, you know, Isaac over Ishmael is a choice. His emphasis is on that of a child of a promise versus the child of, of flesh. I mean, they both are Abraham's offspring, aren't they? Yes, genetically, they're both his offspring, right? But one was, you know, accomplished by the promise, Right? And the other was accomplished by human ingenuity, right? uh, trying to make things work out, uh, not actually waiting on God to, to, to work things out. Right? Uh, and then he goes on to talk about Jacob o- over Esau, right? uh, you know, children, a child that's called versus that of works, and even cutting against the normal protocol back then of, of privileged position based on birth order. Right? Uh, now, this is one of my great themes of the Bible because I'm youngest of five. Okay? So the younger, you know, kind of being the one in charge and the older, not so much. I'm fired up about that biblical teaching, right? Uh, you know, but, but, but both of what Paul is doing here is, is helping them to see that it's not by works. Okay, He's not saying this is a cosmic dodgeball game and, and, and they were chosen ahead of time as individuals. He's saying... You guys actually shouldn't be super surprised that God has operated this way in terms of letting the Gentiles in by faith, because it was actually always this way. It wasn't spelled out as clearly as it is now, because the Old Testament is a shadow and the New Testament is a reality. But he's in some sense taking their own teaching about their patriarchs and saying, hey, look, this has always been there. This has always been there. And even his choice of Jacob over Esau and his use of quoting from Malachi 1 to, to, to emphasize that, is showing us that it's actually not even about the individual. Because that passage in Malachi 1 is not talking about Esau, the individual as a man. It's talking about the Edomites. Okay? And so he, he's, he's, again, not emphasizing individuals as much as he's saying nations. Okay? And he's talking about election in terms of choice, not meaning elected in terms of salvation, but elected in terms of, hey, I'm going to use you to accomplish my purpose. Okay? And you read the Old Testament. Why did God choose Israel? Why did he choose the, the people of God that he chose? What was their mission? It was to be a light to the Gentiles. So it's not choice based on saved, not saved, as, as determinism would, would lead you to believe. It's choice in that, you know what, I'm going to choose Jim uh, to preach so that uh, Andrew would be saved. Right? It doesn't mean that the choice of Jim means that Andrew's damned and going to hell. It just means that Jim's task is to help Andrew be saved, and God's going to work through Jim. All right, you guys follow that? Uh, you know, and, and, and both, both examples here that he uses are underscoring this idea that he's talking on a national level. Uh, you know, and, and, and even here's one of the great Old Testament passages that emphasizes that this was always why God chose Israel. All right, Isaiah 42, verse 6 and 7, he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Right? God has, has called Israel. He's taken them. 
He's kept them. He's made them what they are for a purpose. To be a light. Not chosen in that they are saved and everyone else is lost. No, chosen in the sense of I'm going to work my purpose and my plan, my divine preconceived idea of how salvation is going to come is going to be accomplished through them. You guys guys follow that? Right? Uh, You know, and, and... Reading into chapter 9, individualism is probably more a sin of our time than, 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 than they would have been, you know, they, they would have been less likely to fall into it in Paul's time, right? We are hyper individualistic, so we read things that way, right? Even the, even the Hebrew idiom of Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, we kind of recoil at that, uh, and we think, oh man, that's kind of harsh. But it's the same teaching technique that Jesus uses, right? In, 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 uh, Luke, Luke's gospel, right? Luke talks about Jesus, you know, says to those who are thinking about following him, hey, you got to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, even your own self, or you can't be my disciple. He's not telling them to hate them, but he is in a sense telling them, speaking to them hyper, hy, in a hyperbole to help them understand, man, your love for God needs to be so high that it is as if you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, and yourself, right? Because elsewhere, what does Jesus say? How should we treat enemies? Love them, okay? So there's no way it's a literal hate, right? But it's, it's an idiom to in, emphasize the, 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 the priority that is given. God doesn't hate Esau, amen? But God did choose to work through his brother and to use his brother to accomplish his purpose uh, in a way that he wasn't going to work through Esau, right? One of the other tremendous examples of this is in the, the, the end of Genesis uh, of Joseph, right? Joseph is, is chosen. Joseph is given a... a a grand dream of how God is going to accomplish, uh, you know, his will in Joseph's life. Uh, was that because Joseph was a great guy? No, not really. Joseph's actually, you know, I mean, there are some exemplary things in Joseph, but there's also a fair bit of arrogance in Joseph, right? Uh, you know, and a fair bit of pride, you know. But, but at the end of his life, he looks back on God having chosen him because he realizes that God chose him and used hardship to save many. It's not that Joseph was chosen and, and the brothers weren't because Joseph was going to be saved and the brothers weren't. It was Joseph was, was chosen to bring salvation to all, right? To bring salvation to all, right? And it's a national, you know, like I said, it's a national focus even in his selection of those two, right? Uh, the other difficult section in here, hopefully you follow that. If not, chat to me afterwards because we are going kind of fast, Right? Uh, is the objection, right? Well, okay, is God unfair in all this? Right? For, for not all those who are, are descended from Israel, Israel, uh, you know, is, is, is God unfair? Is he unjust, right? Down there in verse 14. And, and he quotes there, he says, for he says to Moses, right? I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, right? That's a quotation from the end of, of that section of, of, uh, of Exodus, uh, and it's an interesting thing because you can read it and you can even hear it and think it's kind of God callously saying, I'm going to have mercy on whoever I want to have mercy and I don't really care. Uh, it's an arbitrary flip of the coin. right? But you read that story and there's a different flavor that surrounds that. Okay? You, you read that story and, and here is uh, a people God chose to rescue out of Egypt. And he brings them out of Israel, Egypt, and they pass through the Red Sea, and he provides for them daily, 
uh, in miraculous ways of manna from heaven, uh, you know, meat blown in in the, in the wind <laughs> in forms of quail when they, when they were craving some carnivore time. Uh, they, they, when they were thirsty, he miraculously gave them water from, from, a, from a rock. Uh, and other turn, times turned bitter springs into sweet water, right? Uh, they, they were privileged in that they were a chosen people. But then they came to the mountain. What happened? Moses is gone for like a little bit. And they flat make a golden calf and start worshiping other things, other gods, right? Uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, Moses and God obviously are aware of what's happening. And Moses comes down and there's a great scene where he, you know, grinds it up, grinds up the idol and makes him drink it. Uh, but what does God tell Moses then? He says, I'm going to wipe these people out. Right? I'm going to wipe them out. Doesn't matter that they were my chosen people. Doesn't matter that I rescued them. I'm starting over. I'm going to have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I'm not going to have mercy on them because how are they, how are they behaving? They're full of unbelief. And the fact that he'd rescued them, and the fact that even Moses' line of appeal to God is, hey, this is going to look kind of bad for the other nations. Man, you rescued them, now you smite them. That's not great. God's saying, look, I'm not actually determined by appearances. Yes, they were believing, and that's why they left. And so did a lot of the Egyptians. But now that belief is gone. And their hearts are full of unbelief. And so I'm going to wipe them out. Now what does Moses do? He intercedes. He says almost the same thing Paul says at the start of this chapter. Moses says, hey, blot me out. Take the magic eraser. Remove me from the book. Keep them in. Now God is so moved by Moses' faith. The willingness of one man to give himself up for the salvation of others that God relents. And he shows them mercy. Right? And so this bit about, you know, you know, oh, it's God, it's God just being arbitrarily showing mercy to some and not to others. No, no, no. It's more saying God is always going to show mercy to those who have faith. And he's going to bring judgment on those who, who are unfaithful. And it doesn't matter about your past. And it doesn't matter about your family. And your lineage, that's not going to cut it for you. All right? The importance is faithfulness to God. The other one that's a, the hard one for, for people to stomach is when he talks about Pharaoh. Down there in verses 16 uh, and, and, and 18. You know, it's interesting. Again, if you, it's one of those stories where if you look at it on the surface, you think, oh man, God's dealing pretty harshly with Pharaoh. Right? But the reality is God goes to great lengths to, to not impend initially on Pharaoh's free will. All right? if, you look, if you look at depth, and again, we don't, we don't have time, uh, but in the beginning, stage one of all the plagues, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. He gets plague after plague, demonstration of God's sovereignty with a command, let my people go. Right? Every time, what does Pharaoh do? Hardens his heart. Doesn't really believe that God is God, he believes he's God. And so he hardens his heart. He rebels against what God has said. Right? Now eventually, the Lord begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. <laughs> that starts uh, only after Pharaoh has done it numerous times. Because in reality, Pharaoh thought he was sovereign. Pharaoh thought he was in charge. He believed himself to be God. And despite God trying to, trying to woo him, trying to demonstrate to him, trying to prove to him that, you know what, Pharaoh, you're not God, Pharaoh continued to think he was. And so God even began to harden Pharaoh's own heart. But again, it was done in response to Pharaoh's decision to choose the path of unbelief. 
And I think some of these chapters, again, like like I said before, 9 to 11, guys, I mean, think about all we, we've studied uh, so far and, and, and the incredible security it, it produces in us knowing all the privileges we have in Christ. But I think these chapters are here to warn us against complacency. To prevent us from just becoming complacent, self-reliant, self-absorbed, self-centered. Because that way of life ultimately leads to unbelief. And unbelief, if we choose to, to go down that path, will lead to us being cut out. All right? One of the other difficult sections here of chapter 9 is this image of the potter and the clay. <laughs> and if you read Jeremiah 18, again, we're, we're, we're already at 37 minutes, so we won't, we won't read it. But go home tonight and read Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18 is the basis on which Paul is talking about here. And the point of that story is the exact, exact opposite of determinism. All right? Uh, God in Jeremiah 18 is having a little discussion and the imagery is that of, of God is molding a piece of clay, right? And the clay is not cooperating. So God changes and decides to make something else out of the clay. And so it's, it's a poetic imagery or parable of the reality that God is willing to change his mind. Right? There's lots of great stories like this in the Old Testament, right? I mean, this is Israel's history, Right? Uh, they rebel and, and get filled with unbelief. And so are they his chosen people? No, he sends them into exile. Now, when they're in exile, they get humbled and they cry out to God. And so what does God do? He brings them back. All right? The other great book in the Old Testament that demonstrates this is the story of Jonah. All right? God tells Jonah to do what? Go preach to that wicked people, the Ninevites. Man, I'm going to destroy him. They repent, and then does God destroy them? No. The potter thought, okay, this is what this lump of clay is going to be used for, and then that lump of clay responds in the correct way, and so it's no longer going to be for destruction, it's actually going to be for something good. And that's why it says in, in, in there in that section, section in Romans 9 that, that God bears with great patience even those objects of destruction. That phrase makes no sense if it's determined. You only bear with something with great patience if you know that there's a chance it might change. And so he bears with great patience even objects of his destruction because he is a God who holds out hope continually that people will change, that people will repent. And if they do, then man, he'll change his plan. And he'll take what he was making you and he'll make it into something different because before you were useless and now you're incredibly useful. That's the story of the Bible. It's the story of our lives, right? And, and instead of being an image of of. Uh, a potter just, you know, arbitrarily deciding this is what it's going to be and it's all set. No, it's actually the opposite. It's an image of a God that is very willing to change uh, his plan for the sake of bringing about others' salvation. Amen? You guys follow all that? Right. Look, look, so, to summarize it again with one, one he ends with, right? Uh, he, he says there, see, I lay a, 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 in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. You know, Jesus uses this passage as well, this quotation from the Old Testament, to describe himself. And he, he, is, he is a stone uh, that everyone has to come in contact with. He says, your choices are to fall on him and be broken and put your faith in him or he will fall on you and he will crush you. Jesus is the, the, the touchstone. He is the determining factor. Right? 
Israel's nationality, their race, is not going to save them. They've got to wrestle with Jesus. Chapter 10, which we'll look at in two weeks, right, is the same thing. Man, the Israelites, they're zealous for God, but their problem is Jesus. They're refusing to fall on him and be broken, and instead they're trying to establish their own righteousness. And, and, and guys, the, the, the charge for all of us is, is we get this at first. We get this when we first study the Bible. We know this is true. We know that, that, that we are unworthy and undeserving, and we are not you know, uh, uh, solid objects for our faith. But with time, we become complacent, and we begin to look to other things. We begin to look at our own, you know, church attendance record or Bible study record. And, you know, we begin to put our faith in these things. You know, and it's a funny thing because when we do that, unbelief is growing. And all these scriptures like that of Jonah ticked at the Ninevites repenting. Begin to confront us. Jonah's not happy that they're repenting. He's upset. Because it threatens his paradigm for how he's making sense of his relationship with God. Because his relationship with God is, man, I'm an Israelite. I do what's right. I'm better than those pagans out there. And then all of a sudden when God doesn't destroy those pagans like he wanted, that paradigm is being shattered. But the reality is unbelief had creeped in his heart. Jesus tells the same, essentially the same story as the entire prophet Jonah uh, when he tells the parable of two sons in Luke 15. Same story. Same warning. Of, hey, don't become like the older son. Don't become full of self-righteousness, because when you do, you're also becoming full of unbelief. You're no longer putting your faith in Jesus, but rather you're putting it in self. And that's dangerous ground, because God is going to show mercy on whom he wants to show mercy. And who are those that God shows mercy to? Those who heart, whose hearts are full of faith. But if it's full of unbelief, don't think your privileged position is going to rescue you. It's not. The Israelites are a demonstration of that and a warning for us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. Amen? Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing uh, one final song. Father, we, we pray you help us, God, to leave here, God, just invigorated to never grow complacent in our walk with you, God. We pray, God, you help us to, to see ourselves as we are, God, unworthy, undeserving, unable to save ourselves, God. Help us to continually to, to, to fall on that stone that you have laid in Zion on your son and be broken, God. We pray, God, that we can be a people of faith, God, a people who trust in you, who follow you and obey you, uh, because we know that our own ideas, our own intuition, our own urges are completely untrustworthy, God because we fall so radically short. Help us in this endeavor, God. Help us to, to learn uh, the, the, the lessons that, that, that have been demonstrated before us uh, from, from, from your people, the Israelites, God. Again, we love you and we thank you. Best song in Christ's name, amen. Awesome, let's all sit, uh, stand and sing, How Great Is Our God.